Welcome to episode 55 of Kyperian Commentary. I'm your host, Yuri Brito. And on this episode here, I have in my studio, this is the closest to a studio I can get, my good friend Jeff Myers. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to be uh, with you also, brother. Jeff is here in Pensacola, Florida for a few uh, festivities this weekend. But not the beach. But not the beach. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. And uh, one of the many reasons he's here this weekend is to do a talk just uh, in about 30 minutes from now on the book of Ecclesiastes. I think those who listen to Kyperion are aware of um, Jeff Meyer's commentary on Ecclesiastes in the Through New Eyes series published by Athanasius Press. Jeff, what was the initial interest in the book of Ecclesiastes that got you thinking about that book? Yeah, good question. Um, Wow, I think many years ago I heard... James Jordan talk about Ecclesiastes in general terms. Uh, this is probably 35 years ago. And then about 22 years ago at my church, I preaching through books of the Bible and thought I'll do Ecclesiastes and just start studying it a little bit more and turned out to be one of the most uh, like sermon series I did at church. Everybody just loved it. So yeah, we have into a book. Right. Yeah. Pastors have those uh, classic sermon series that uh, really communicate well to their congregation. Uh, so the book of Ecclesiastes is a, a fascinating book in the wisdom literature. I'm reminded of the, the debates that have occurred, at least in my days in seminary, about the, the authorship of Ecclesiastes. What was the rationale behind establishing that premise? Right. I just take it at face value and took the traditional view that uh, when uh, the author says that he was a, a convener or a teacher and he'd been king over Israel and Jerusalem, right? that really that could only apply to Solomon. Um, all the other options just really didn't work. And it fits also with just the idea that the king is a chief, the chief layman, He's not a priest, but he does gather together. He convenes the congregation, which is what in the Hebrew, koheleth, means convener from kahal, uh, assemble. Mm -hmm. So uh, it just seemed natural to take uh, what he said at face value and recognize that it's Solomon in his old age who's delivering wisdom that he's learned over many years. The definition of... um of the uh, Koheleth as an, uh, an assembler, that seems to be so fitting for a king. That's what kings do. They assemble people and they speak wisdom to their people. What's the rationale for denying a Solomonic authorship? Uh, I haven't been keeping in touch. Uh, I haven't been um, following all the literature lately, but I know there's a number of even evangelical scholars right. who think there's two authors and one's cynical and one's more positive. Or that this is some pseudo-Solomonic writer who's a cynic. None of that seems to work because I believe that the book of Ecclesiastes holds together quite well. Um, and I don't see any reason not to recognize that this is Solomon. Uh, and the Davidic kings are shepherd kings. Exactly. They, they convene, they teach, they bring people together as Solomon does when the temple is uh, finally finished and other places as well. So it just it just seems natural not to get too um, critical and too modern about it all and just take what the church has always said about Ecclesiastes. It's Solomon. Right. Take the text that, uh, yeah. as it is presented. So those first few words are uh, somewhat uh, memorable. 
And uh, in some ways, I think those first few verses almost establish the way an interpreter looks at yeah. the rest of Ecclesiastes. Tell me how that plays into the way you have uh, interpreted Ecclesiastes in your commentary. Yeah, so it starts off the words of Koheleth, or the convener, uh, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then the question is, how do you interpret the Hebrew word hebel, mm-hmm. H-E-B-E-L? Um, hebel of hebels, says the convener. Everything is hebel. Uh, well, the NIV says meaningless, and mm-hmm. that drives a certain interpretation of the book. Um, and the old King James Version said vanity. And when you think of vanity, you think of something empty and right. kind of fl- frivolous, like your daughter's in a little vanity that she makes herself up on, or Vanity Fair from Pilgrim's Progress, Progress, where a lot of uh, kind of immoral and frivolous activities are going on. And so uh, if if that's what this means, then this this word is used like 30, between 35 and 40 times. can't remember exactly Mm -hmm. how many. And it does set the tone for the whole book. Is Is life meaningless? Is life vanity? Or all the things that... Uh, Solomon is going to describe like work and death and um, all these other things. Are they, is that all meaningless? Is, that's, that's not what life is like. Uh, so the word hebel means vapor, means mist, smoke. Uh, and it might have a metaphorical meaning in places, but the raw kind of root meaning is vapor, vaporous. So Solomon starts off saying that everything is vaporous, everything's vapor, and then the, the Hebrew, you know, superlative vapor of vapors, like King of Kings or Lord of Lords. So uh, the height of, of vaporousness, if you will. Uh, if you understand it that way, then all of a sudden Ecclesiastes becomes a book about how you can't control things, right? How God is in control of things. How even your best efforts might lead to uh, the outcome that you didn't expect because you don't have control over outcomes. Mm. There's a there might be a fly in the ointment, you know, right, right, right. Uh, and all those kinds of things. Once you see that, then the, then the book becomes about trusting, fearing God, not about our ability to leverage everything in our lives. That's another word that comes up, yithron, the Hebrew yithron, meaning to leverage or to profit. Um, and or, or in a, another phrase, shepherding the wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these phrases combined together, hebel, yithron, shepherding the wind, uh, points to the idea that we're finite humans and we're fallen and the world is twisted, bent. And so we don't have control over things. And ultimately, the, the ultimate indicator of that is death. Uh, and, and Solomon talks about death a lot too. So what Ecclesiastes becomes is the uh, book of faith, of trust, par excellence in the Old Testament. That's Martin Luther's way of describing right. it, and I think he's correct. Mm. One of the interpretations that come out of that is just this very nihilistic view of Ecclesiastes. It's very hard to fit this kind of nihilism into the the, the feasting motif that you see throughout Israel and um, I even heard one author talk about Ecclesiastes as the psychological exile of God's people. I think th- there is a, a certain foundational piece here which you touched on, which is that Ecclesiastes does speak to the complexities of life, right? And I think Christians need to realize that um, life is complex, full of, of difficulties, but isn't one of the great points of Ecclesiastes that life is not hopeless, and that we ought to contemplate life through the lens of 
the God who does all things well and controls all things. Yes. Yes. You know your place. Right. You, you accept your place as a creature. You accept your place also within a fallen, damaged world, broken and twisted. You accept your place, and you do what you can do. And you, every section, there are four sections in Ecclesiastes, and every one ends with the feasting motif. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment mm. in his toil. Um, and it seems to me, in the context of Israel's life, as you just mentioned earlier, the, this is a reference to feasting. Uh, Leviticus 23 talks about all the feasts in Israel, the yearly feasts, uh, including the Sabbath day, which is also a feast. So you're feasting, you're enjoying, you're, um, you're, you're, you're experiencing joy with other people, with food and drink, with the wife of your youth and all that. And that's, that's your life. If you can accept that, you can trust God for everything else. Right. Um, and so every every cycle here in Ecclesiastes ends with that. And it's really important to understand context, too, mm. here. Because uh, the, uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, in mock, he mocks those who don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Right. And says, oh, they say, well, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And, if, and some people said, well, see, that's what Solomon's saying. No, mm. similar words, but... Different context, completely different context here from um, Paul's use of it in 1 Corinthians 15. Well, what's the role of, I know you've done some work in the, in, the, um, in the book of James also. What is James' connection with this wisdom literature here? As Is he the new Solomon of the new covenant? Yeah, yes and no. Um, I think James is written to a specific situation in the early life of the apostolic church where they're persecuted, where they, um, I think they, I think the early Christians really thought that Jesus was bringing in immediately this promised righteous kingdom, Mm -hmm. that things were going to happen fairly quickly. Uh, Of course, in that, they really didn't listen very carefully to Sermon on the Mount or other things that Jesus said about persecution, Matthew 24. Um, But I think what happens is James steps in with wisdom Wisdom for Christians, how to live in, in a situation where they're exiled. Um, so in Acts chapter what, Acts 7 and Acts chapter 11, we're told that all the Christians are driven out of Jerusalem. And that means they're also driven out of the establishment, out of the synagogues. And they don't know what to do. And they think that fighting back is the answer. Hmm. They think that maybe, well, this, we're, we're, we're to be new Phineases or something like that. And James comes along and writes, no, 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 watch your words. Um, be at peace. You know, um, God God will take care of things. Just trust him. The end of James, James 5, about judgment coming on their oppressors. Well, okay, just believe that. Pray for it and live in terms of it. So, so James has a lot of these, a lot of similarities with Ecclesiastes. But it's not really the same context as Solomon. Um, but he uses... Similar language. Similar language, similar... Wisdom language, because remember, the wisdom literature is about how to rule, right? Uh, how to how to be wise and discerning in your ruling, and the early Christians were ruling and reigning with Christ, uh, but they needed to learn how to do that. They couldn't do it modeled on Rome, and they couldn't do it modeled on the Jewish uh, leadership, uh, because the Jewish leadership was in mimetic rivalry with Rome. So they had to, they had to be told. 
how to do it in Christ, in Jesus. Yeah, and I was, I was uh, thinking particularly about James' emphasis on works and the fear of God and the obedience to the law and also his reference to the vaporous nature of, of life itself. Yeah. Yeah. I was... Uh, Curious, as we come to the, um, when you consider the last few words of Ecclesiastes, I, I think the reason some folks would tend to divide Ecclesiastes into two, two authors or two sides or two perspectives, which incidentally is what they do with Isaiah too, which I always feel somewhat skeptical when that happens. But where, where does the ending of Ecclesiastes connect with the beginning of Ecclesiastes? The end of the matter, all has been, all has been heard, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Again, in, in terms of his initial statement about everything is vapors, okay, the whole duty of man is to fear God, trust right. him. Right. The, the, the book of Ecclesiastes ends with four, um, four injunctions, basically. One, it's be wise, chapter 10. Two, it's be generous, chapter 11, throw your bread out in the water. Uh, three, third, it's be joyful, the end of chapter 11. And then last, it's uh, fear God, be godly. Mm. Uh, and that there's, you know, there's nothing in that that indicates that there's something, uh, something jarring with the rest of the, uh, the book. Not at all. I mean, that all makes sense if life is indeed something uncontrollable, something that we don't ultimately have leverage over. Then we're going to need to fear God. Be joyful in the midst right. of trouble, um, and uh, be generous, and use our wisdom to the best of our capacity. It, it would seem to me, uh, it would seem that the Ecclesiastes is actually a, a great Lenten book, because you have the trials of life, the wilderness testings of God's people throughout life, um, with with conclusive observations about feasting. It's almost, I'm just thinking through this here, but it's almost like a, here's Lent and here's your feast day to mm-hmm. conclude so that God never leaves us perpetually wandering the wilderness, you know, um, hungry and thirsty. But he says, stop, feast. I'm your shepherd. You shall not want. Yeah, that's that's really good. Uh, now, I'm going to add something here yeah. to that. And um, as I've been going through the Psalter, the Psalms, I've noticed that um, there's two psalms in particular, Psalm 38 and 39, uh, which are all about uh, laments of basically David's ailments. He's sick. Mm. He's in pain. He's afflicted. There's something wrong. Um, and especially in 39, I'm, I'm, I am going to posit the possibility mm-hmm. that it's David's son who in meditation on Psalm 39 uh, at the end of his life, came up with Ecclesiastes. Because here mm. in Psalm 39, uh, three times Hebel is used. Uh, verse 5, surely all mankind stands as a mere vapor. Uh, and then also uh, in verse 6, uh, for, uh, for vapor, the, the people are in t- turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. It's very uh, much like what Solomon says. Right. Um, and then... Uh, when you discipline a man, you rebuke for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere vapor. Mm. Uh, and now this is all about David's sickness, ailment, his, and his inability to control. He's, he's in severe pain, and he cries out to God, actually, not so much to deliver me, 
But all, the only hopeful thing in Psalm 39 is this one phrase at the end of verse 7, my hope is in you. Mm. And that's it. In fact, he ends the psalm, look away from me <laughs> so that I can smile again yeah. before I depart and am no more. Wow. Uh, I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if Solomon, in meditating on this, um, that's what was a spur for him to write Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Interesting. Jeff, this has been a enjoyable time. Uh, thanks for your time. Thanks for this labor, Ecclesiastes. I think uh, I would love for pastors to get a hold of because I think the evangelical culture is consumed by commentaries and Ecclesiastes that do posit this dichotomy between the beginning and the ending. And I think what your commentary does is harmonizes beautifully um, and it, it takes the book at, at its value. And I appreciate yeah, that. And it just, some, for some reason, it fits kind of with the paradigm in American evangelicalism. Um, and which is not a very healthy one. Right. That until you come to Jesus, life is meaningless. Right, right. Life is out, outside your control. But once you come to Jesus, then everything just lines up perfectly. Yeah. Well, that's kind of bull. Uh, yeah. Kind of it is. Yeah. It's not. And, and a lot of people discover that that's not the case, and then they're uh, disenchanted with the Christian faith because it didn't do everything they were promised it would right. do. Right. It turns out that life is a mess. Yeah, yeah. And you can't actually you don't always get what you want <laughs> i've heard that quote before and i think it uh so it's 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 not that god doesn't have a wonderful plan for your life is that he does but it may include martyrdom and it may include but be realistic right about it and also don't you don't hide we don't heighten our expectations about things that just aren't going to happen because there will be sickness there will be death there will be times when you throw your bread out in the water and it doesn't come back to you. Right. Uh, and all of that is part of God's plan for you. Uh, but you can still rejoice in him, fear him, and enjoy uh, enjoy him at the table with his people because that's, that's your, that is your ultimate promise, that you will, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, rejoice and be free from all of the, all of these problems that are common to man. Jeff Myers, author of Ecclesiastes, A Table in the Midst. Thanks, Jeff, for your time. You're welcome.